And now, right to your host of Down the Garden Path, Joanne Shaw and Matthew Dressing. Down the Garden Path, where we discuss down-to-earth tips and advice while doing our best to help you seasonally manage your garden and landscape. Hello there, I'm Joanne Shaw, owner of Down-to-Earth Landscape Design, and with me is my co-host and co-author, Matthew Dressing. Hello, Matthew. Hello, Joanne, and good evening, everyone, and thank you for joining us. I'm Matthew Dressing, owner of Natural Affinity Garden Design. As landscape designers and gardeners, we believe it's important and possible to have great gardens, which are sustainable and low maintenance, and we want to help you make it happen. That's right, and it is, we are wrapping up um, our no, we're not. We're starting. So someone's show notes. Ignore that part. <laughs> Ignore that part. Ignore that part. Oh, yay. Um, yes. Well, hello there. It is August and we are in the heat of the summer. And Oof. we know everybody's gardens, you know, are desperate for water these days and desperate for something, um, a change or some, some help. So tonight is an Ask Us Anything episode. So Matt and I are here. We're dying for your questions um any topic you want to discuss i know august can be challenging in the garden can't it matt it can indeed like you said right we've had such a hot summer things are looking stressed they are baked uh they are looking for a little bit of relief uh so yeah just keep making sure that you've got that water don't water the leaves we've got such great humidity Lots of sun will run into some issues there. So what issues and challenges are you facing in your August garden? We want to hear about them. Ask us anything. Uh, you can write us at down the garden path podcast at hotmail.com. Um, so yeah, so sorry, I kind of messed up those notes for you. <laughs> that's okay, that's okay. Um, that's what live doing a live podcast is all about, right, everybody? Oh, um, yeah. So uh, we are just human, and that's okay. Um, we do. We you guys have been great at emailing us questions, even between the shows, right? Like between the episodes. Yeah, that's right. Um, we've had a couple of people write in and say hi. I think I wrote to um, Beth last night. She was wondering, or the other day. Uh, wondering what we were going to be doing today and what we've got coming up next week, which is uh, super exciting and has seen a lot of press lately. Uh, so I wrote back to Beth. Tim has also written in, uh, emailed us at Down the Garden Path Podcast at hotmail.com, uh, where Joanne and I are watching. We both get that email mm-hmm. and uh, we can both respond to you. Um, Tim has also written in, he said, uh, between shows and said, Hi, Down the Garden Path. I saw this post on eight plants that repel mosquitoes uh any information that you can share with us in the future thank you and thank you tim for writing in um you know what it's definitely one of those um a great topic to to touch on and kind of do some research about the efficacy of you know these repelling plants and mosquitoes um i know we had with uh, David Smorenberg earlier in the year, we had organic pest control. Uh, we heard him from our Blue Sky Nursery show all about the um, 
mosquito uh, product. I want to say mosquito less, but I'm I'm thinking I'm thinking of something else. I know, I know. I have it. I bought <laughs> so it, bad. and I do like it. I'm I'm trying to think of what it's called. Oh my gosh! But it's garlic juice, basically, right? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, and that you spray on the plants or underneath the plant leaves and it lasts for so long. Is that yeah, how you it's it? kind of like the perimeter, uh, the perimeter of your yards. So it's not even necessarily plant related. Um, yeah, mosquito barrier. That's why. That's so it, it's that's meant it, to kind it. of, you know, kind of do a, per- a perimeter of your yard and that there, you know, or the of your patio, that type of thing of the areas. Um, so it um, it is I, I bought the. Uh, called concentrate and then so you hook that up to the hose and then I can spray um so yeah so I did find that very effective he also sent me some um of these traps uh, as well and uh, I've been testing those out so it's hard to know like you know it's really hard to know um what works I know certainly I feel like it's gotten better close to my house I know I was talking to a neighbor and we were standing in the street, right? Because my neighbor across the street, so we're standing in the middle of the street, and then I got bit, bit by a bunch. So I'm like, okay, so out here I'm really getting bit, but I, I think it's so. I think the difference is is pretty incredible. And even um, I know I couldn't ever go even into the pool in the evenings because, like, my face and my head it just cracks me up that the mosquitoes would just attack. And I have no grass <laughs> and really no trees, like just a vegetable garden in the backyard, and still struggle with mosquitoes. Um, but the last couple of hot nights, I've been able to do that, and I haven't noticed mosquitoes. So, um, so yeah. So I, I really think um, I should be more religious about about using that the mosquito barrier. But I definitely give it a recommendation. I really do. I think it's worth trying. Very nice. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm glad that it, it's it's worked out for you. Um, that's amazing that you've been able to notice the difference. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think, yeah, a lot of people kind of uh, doesn't really work. Or yeah. uh, it's kind of garlic. Uh, it's not really a chemical. So they kind of hesitate to test stuff out. So I think that that's great. And if you mm. want to hear more about those products, uh, you can search organic pest control on uh, down the garden path on your favorite podcast provider. Uh, we've got all of our past content there, as well as uh, the Blue Sky Nursery episode where um we had that introduced to us. And yeah, a guy, a guy was saying, Scott, so the owner you. of, yeah, the owner of Blue Scott was saying that he can't keep it in stock because people come in uh, for it. So, so that was, uh, that's what kind of got us thinking, hey, this should be a good show. <laughs> um, so, so, but I feel like, so here people are, might be doubtful of something like garlic, but then think things like lemon geraniums and different herbs and stuff can, can really repel mosquitoes. And I, I just don't see that happening. What do you think? I am going to say I don't have the mosquito issue or have had the mosquito issue where I live to really need to test it out. Um, My sister lives out Belleville way uh, on some property like you has a pool, a deck, a little like a living space. We've done some geraniums there and some um, lemongrass and some other scented foliage things that seem to I don't know if it's maybe they just think that they see it or they have seen it. I know they have some other bug um, repellents in play as well. So, so yeah. So I, there's always that mixed, um, that mixed bag of things. So if you've had your plants work, 
for you, your lemon balm, your lemongrass, uh, lemon or citronella geraniums, let us know down the garden path podcast at hotmail.com. But thank you very much, Tim, for taking the time to write us. We love hearing from all of you when we are off uh, the show. And we will have to definitely do some uh, further research into some repellent plants and maybe not even just about mosquitoes um, because there's a lot of lore and talk about things like, you know, um, you know, what foliage plants repel rabbits or what repels aphids or what repels so there's a whole group of these mm. ones of the, these companion plants yeah. uh, or just individual plants that repel these things so definitely a good uh, show idea there to, to jump into as well mm-hmm. actually on that note i did see some people comment about because apparently one of those um, plants was geraniums that the actual annual geranium um, actually repels japanese beetles so uh, there have been in some of the face groups where they've taken their, you know, their spent geranium blooms and stuff and put them around plants that the Japanese beetles like, and that actually has worked. I think people have noticed that when they've had Japanese beetles, that the Japanese beetles haven't touched the geraniums, but they've mm. eaten other things. And I think that's what kind of got people to kind of, I think it's kind of spread kind of very um, naturally, or what's that word, you know, just um so anyway not to use naturally in a different way so yeah so that kind of intrigued me um you know because i'm i'm not a geranium fan they definitely do have a strong smell um they definitely have like even if you um touch them and wash your hands like Mm. you know when you're breaking deadheading and stuff and you're doing if you do it with your bare hands it's like that stuff still is in your skin like you still smell it so i could kind of see i've seen and heard the exact same thing um that yeah the geraniums the pelargoniums by genus um mm-hmm. they repel them they don't really enjoy them i've seen a couple on like like literally like one or two on a flower and kind of my own investigation on that but i've also heard a lot of the same thing a lot of people are taking the deadheads uh, or they're picking some of the older leaves that still have some scent and crushing them and putting them in water and spraying them on their their foliage just to kind of oh, transfer okay. that scent as well Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so I think, I think it's a, I think there's a lot of, of little things that do and don't work. And I think yeah. it's a mixed camp. Yeah. And I think sometimes some of that stuff, um, it might just depend. Like I think one person might have success with lemongrass and somebody yeah. else, you know, doesn't, you know, I think that that's just one of those things that, um, that's hard to tell. And so I think things that are, um, you know, inexpensive to try, like the lemongrass idea, like the lemon geraniums, you know, it's not a huge investment. I appreciate that the mosquito barrier is a bit of a, a bigger investment, but I feel like it's kind of more of a proven product, you know, too. Yeah. Um, so I think it's something worth to try, uh, especially, I think, especially for small yards, I kind of have a tricky yard and that's a corner and, and stuff. So I think for small yards, I think I'd love to hear if any of our listeners have tried it. Um, you know, we would, uh, we would love to hear from you about that. So that would be good. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So any other, oh, lemongrass, I do want to say, so Julia taught me, I think she mentioned it on one of her past shows about, um, so now's not the time, you can grow it from seed, but Mm. lemongrass, if you go to, you can usually buy it at one of the Asian grocery stores, and it's like the roots are kind of like celery, like it's kind of got hard and white, and often there is like still some hair like that can be roots, and so you can actually put those stems 
they're like, to me, they're like tiny celeries, right? You can put those stems in water and root them, and then you can put them in a pot. And I did that. So I did, I tried that this year. So I do have two pots of lemongrass. More, I Ooh. forgot about the whole mosquito part. I was just more to see if I could do it. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so now I may bring one of my pots out front. So where we, where we tend to sit to see if that uh, does help. But uh, anyway, so that's a Very whole cool. rush. We can't do the whole show on that. But anyway, <laughs> thank you everybody for listening. And thank you for um, the podcast. I mean, anybody who's listening later on a podcast, you can still email us uh, questions as well. We'd love to hear from you. Um, but we always enjoy our live audience that is listening and sending us questions. So we have a few, don't we? We do. We do have some. We've got uh, Henry who's written in to say hello, Matt and Joanne, this is how hot it is here in Chesterfield, South Carolina. And he's got a little picture of a, a ceiling fan and all the blades melted. melted. Yeah. <laughs> it feels that hot here too. Uh, Henry, thank you for writing in. Harry's also written in. Hello, Matt and Joanne. With this excessive heat in the GTA, is it okay to put down lawn fertilizer? If so, any tips? Thanks. The answer to that question is yes and no. <laughs> As I, you're not looking at me shaking my head no nope. no <laughs> nope. yes and no um typically we, we think of when we say lawn fertilizer is the scots the synthetic stuff right it's quick acting it's going to give us that burst of green that can be very stressful especially if you've got a lawn that's on the edge if it's not quite fully lush thick green three inches plus tall uh, you can knock it into dormancy you can stress it out even more however the organic will not do that and that's where the organic fertilizers are beneficial in the summer they will still give you that feed but they do need to break down with the soil microbes they do need to be wet some to release that fertilizer so it is a slower release you don't get that burst like you do in the spring with your uh, scots or cil or pick your favorite house brand uh within those two first two weeks you get it after those two weeks and because you fed the soil it gives you a longer more sustained green that again, rebuilds the soil, helps the retain moisture in times of drought, things like that. So Harry, uh, know if you're gonna use your Scott CIL or something synthetic with like a 30 or a 40, whatever yeah, your big like high, high number, a high first number. Right, but yes, yeah. if you're gonna go organic, which should be like a 723 or a 437 coming yeah. into our fall next one in a month. Uh, but yeah, so that's your yes and no. And then just apply it as as you do, as you normally would. The organic, yeah. you apply the organic just like you would a synthetic one. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I think I, I, I still say, like, you know, you're going to be able to do it in a couple of weeks, right? Yeah, exactly. Our fall fertilizer is going to be around our Labor Day anyways. Hopefully we see some cool it, cooling off. If it's fully dormant, remember, they're asleep. You don't eat in the middle of the night. Well, I mean, you get up to eat in the middle of the night, but uh, your lawn is fully dormant. She's not going to wake up until we get those cooler temperatures. So if you do put something down, it's just going to wash away or yeah. enter the soil and not be used. So if it's active and green, go for it with your synthetic. If she's stressed or struggling, don't put it down to recover her. Put it, an organic down uh, to feed and help relieve some of that stress. And again, keep it watered for this heat and keep it cut high. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Don't don't rush to cut it. No, uh, no, no. Sure. Definitely. There's just keep it. Let it go long. It's OK. I don't know why. I know people want that lovely trim trimmed lawn, but well, 
I don't understand mm. why people want that lovely lawn, but yeah, I just think <laughs> it's, um, and I just said that to my neighbor who just cut her grass and she's, I was so excited that it was going to rain because once I cut the grass, the grass looked brown and I really want it to be watered. And I'm like, yeah, so you shouldn't have cut the grass because it looked great. <laughs> it was green, you know? And so, uh, so yeah. Um, anyway, so, uh, so yes. And um, Greg has written in and asked us about mulch. So he says, I cannot believe that is August already. Neither can we. What is the best mulch to use? And what is the best way to mulch a perennial bed? Lots, little, high, low, et cetera. Great question. That is a great question. Um, what is your favorite mulch to use? Mine is composted pine. So yes. I definitely, um, Greg and all listeners, please steer clear of any of the dyed mulches, the black, the red, certainly the red, um, <laughs> you know, sticking with more of a natural uh, mulch. I know we we were both a guest on Stephen's uh, show uh, last week, August right? third, yeah, August third, yes. And the uh, question about mulch came up, and so view mulch as it has a purpose. It's not a decorative part of your garden. It's there to break down. Um, it's there to to reduce weeds. It is there to hold the moisture in. And um, you want it to be as nutritious as possible. Um, so, so yeah, so I think I love composted pine and, um, you know, shredded cedar and, and things like that are fine. Also, there's lots with all our tree damage and there's lots of, mul you know, free mulch kind of in the, in some neighborhoods, right. Yeah. Um, which is, which is fine. Um, the composted pine tends to be quite dark and I think people like that. Yeah. Um, but it's, but it's not dyed dark. Um. Yeah. And I think a good coating, like, it, you know, if you really want to suppress the weeds, then you definitely need to do a good coating of it. So, you know, good three to four inches when you, yeah, you just held up your hands. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That, that nice two to four inches, depending on, on what you've got for sure, mm -hmm. for sure. It will help suppress the weeds and keep it. Yeah. I also, if, if color and I mean, mulch i agree with you completely is is a functional thing right nature the, the forest there's mulch everywhere Na nature likes to to mulch things if you look at the big meadows right we go through the seasons things die off things fall into the ground other perennials come up but the things that came before that are dying off are now the mulch and the layer that is protecting the, the new um so you know definitely very functional it's there to feed the soil uh, protect the soil from sun, hold water. It can have a, that decorative component to it. Um, but yeah, definitely it's, it's a part of the living ecosystem in that, in that garden for sure. Mm, for yeah. Sure. And uh, fabric. So let's just Ooh. segue a little bit. Um, Cause I had a conversation with somebody else today about fabric and, you know, does it suppress weeds? You know, no, to me, no, because the weeds still grow on top. His argument was well with it, but then they're still easier to pull up than them being rooted in the ground. Okay, I'll get you that. But I yeah. think ultimately it comes down to um, planting. Something's going to die. You know, you, something's going to die or you're going to want to plant something else or both. And then that's a pain, right? You're having to find, push the mulch aside, cut your little ax, try to, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I think ultimately to have a successful garden, I think you need to amend the soil often, whether yeah. it's with, whether it's with leaves, whether it's with um, your leaves in the fall, whether it's with mulch, whether, you know, whatever it is. And so I think having the fabric is, is detrimental to the long-term health of the garden. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's. It, I agree with the, yeah, the whoever you were talking to. It is very easy 
you know, three, four inches of mulch, the weeds, the perennials grow right in it. It seeds in it. It can root and it can grab the thing. It's easy to really pull out. I have a, a client I work with regularly who has the same thing. Um, but it, it is basically glorified plastic um, with some little bit of penetration penetration to it. I agree. If you keep the soil healthy and thriving um, and you've chosen the proper plants for the proper space, um, you've spaced them, um, you know, you're giving them enough space to grow, you won't need the, the, the fabric to compete to take out the weeds. You'll have a proper planting that's going to keep the soil healthy, that's going to be healthy and large itself to fill the space and outcompete the weeds. Um, because that's what plants do. They uh, they compete all the time for those nutrients and that that stuff. And and having that nice, properly filled, proper plants in the right spot makes gardening just so easy to like, you're going to get a weed or two, but you're not going to have to spend a week weeding your front bed um, right. before to start again, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah I it maybe has a spot if you're, I think of like under rocks, when you have like a, you know, that fake yeah. riverbed or just, you know, there's a really tough, tight, rough corner on a landscape and you pin some things down to have some mm -hmm. rocks there so that yeah. the dirt doesn't allow weeds yeah. to come. Like there's yeah spots. between driveways, that strap between driveways yes. and people do the all river rock and, and like, things like that's that. A so, spot too. Yeah. Excuse me. Yeah. There are some definitely some some um, functional places, but for a beautiful, healthy garden, flower garden to thrive, I I, I don't see the need for for uh, fabric for any fabric. <laughs> That's right for any fabric. That's right. Um, yeah. So hopefully, Greg, that answers your question. Um, yeah. So the high low, like I think that just goes, you know, to the two or three inches at least, right? Yes. I'm sorry. The one thing I wanted to say to Greg too, when putting down the mulch, um, leave a gap of four to six inches around the crown of the plant. Remember, we're going to plant the soil in the pot as level with the soil in the bed, but leave a space of nice four to six inches from the crown, the center of the plant around so that you can, A, you can water it in it, but then you don't create that little volcano that sweats or you get, you know, fungus breaking down or other issues right mm -hmm. on the neck of the plant because that can cause stems to die or kill the plant out fully. So just I'd watch that too. give them a little bit of space, that little hole when it's new, you'll see it. But as the plant fills in, it'll be fine and she'll adapt and work her way through. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. Lots Ooh. of questions piling in. Oh, good. Okay. So it'll be faster. Okay. So Walt, <laughs> this is a great question. Walt, thank you so much. And we, and you have to send us a picture too. Um, so Walt is saying um, my backyard is mostly shady all the time. What plants can I grow that look nice without basically any sun? Um, my yard may get about four hours of sunlight per day due to high buildings and trees. Thanks. Cool. You love shade. Nana's garden with shade. I love shade. Yeah. Um, tons. I mean, there's annuals perennials shrubs yeah. <laughs> there's so many that you can go with how big is your space yeah um i mean let's, let's give them some perennials yeah everybody's got hostas so hostas right. and ferns are obviously an easy go-to so if we stick with perennials um yeah. well it would help to know what you already had there but um uh i think of sun king aurelia yep um because that's a, a shockingly kind of yellow foliage uh plant walt and um it doesn't make some water so especially until it's established um it doesn't really flower but it just adds that really nice contrast especially to dark shade like having that yellow uh foliage is great 
Um, What else? If you like something grassy, you can always use your um, chasmanthium, your northern sea oats. So uh, North American native likes the partial shade, grows uh, two to three feet tall, and it'll vase shape out. um, So it does need a little bit of width on the top um, to about three, maybe four feet tall. It's a nice, thick, mature clump. Uh, A beautiful fall color, interesting flower, but it kind of gives you that, that nice grass. Speaking of grass, I think, you know, there's the carexes and the sedges, mm-hmm. Japanese That's forest right. grass, again, with that yellows, the whites, the, mm-hmm. the strappy greens. Opposite to your Sun King, I like um, um, the Simisifuga, the, right. the yeah, purple, the snake black roots. snake roots. Yep. Black snake roots. Yes, exactly. Big. They look good together, too. Yeah, yeah. Great contrast. Um, medium to slow growing. Um, about two feet to two by two, four by four, depending on the cultivar, uh, but big, beautiful white uh, with a slight hint of pink flowers that are very fragrant for the mm. fall, which is a time which is kind of a weird gap. Yeah. My favorite shade perennial is the toad lily, a nice little orchid kind of looking stems, lots of different mm-hmm. foliage colors, interesting habit there. Mm-hmm. Solomon seal, I think, of yeah. varig- especially variegated Solomon seal. I really like that one. Um, so yeah, so hopefully we've given you, Walt, some uh, some good ones to go with. Yes, definitely. And if you want to talk more, um, if you want to send us a picture, if anybody wants to send us a picture and ask some plant questions, we are always available at Down the Garden Path Podcast at hotmail.com. Mm-hmm. Um, so Irene is asking a great question. She said she did a soil pH test. What is the best solution for raising soil pH levels? Thank you. Oh, uh, sorry, you said raising um, the soil yes. pH levels. Yeah, you can usually find some uh, dolomitic lime as well as some gypsum will also um, release those calciums and those magnesiums uh, and raise your pH for you. Yeah, that, okay. that's pretty easy. You can usually find it uh, in a nine or 10 kilogram bag. Uh, follow the instructions depending on uh, who makes it. It's usually so many... Uh, 100 grams per square feet or 11 yeah. square meters uh, and you put it down and you just water it in it does take a little bit of time Irene to permanently change um, and raise the soil bed so it's not like a one-time thing you might have to do it a couple times but yeah anything that is a dolomitic lime sometimes you'll see as well from Fafard uh, pH up kind of a deal and that you'll see that in the liquids and the um aquarium and like the uh, aquaculture and hydroculture uh you know ph up but you'll often some kind of see that little arrow uh you know raise your ph and if you look at it it's dolomitic lime so mm-hmm. yeah i'd love irene i'd love to hear more about how you did the test um i know i did one for our book i kind of uh i um also believe I need to raise the pH of my garden. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I'd love to hear if you did one of those or if you sent it away or, or, or what you did. So I would love to hear more about that. So that's great. And if you're talking about your flower garden or your vegetable garden, I'd also love to know. Yeah. yeah. And for those I, wondering about it, we did do a step-by-step in the book. I saw you with our book. Um, yeah. yeah, page 35. Page 35, we talk about doing a soil test. So, uh, uh, so yes. Yeah, so for our listeners who are going to buy our book or have bought our book, you can check out step-by-step uh, step on how to do a soil test. That's right. And Irene, remember too, the lawn likes it fairly neutral, but most plants like a range of um, a pH of about 6.2 to about 6.7. And sometimes even depending on who you are, closer to like 5, 9, or 6. Um, and 
at that pH range, all of the iron, nitrogen, phosphorus, calciums, molybdenums, they're all open. That's the their most availability. So you don't need a perfect neutral. You can be slightly acidic uh, and that will be beneficial as you get closer to neutral. Uh, things like iron start to lock up and, and narrow down. So yeah, so you don't have to aim for that perfect neutral. Right. Okay. So I found in my keep my notes on my phone, my test K is adequate N is depleted and P is deficient. Oh, so you need some phosphorus. Okay. Um, yeah. So phosphorus, you need a little bit more phosphorus. Phosphorus is, is very immobile in the soil. It's, it's um, can translocate within the plant, but it likes to hang out in the soil. So what you want to do is when you're planting things uh, or the next time you add or, or disturb your soil, you can put some right where the roots are going to find it because it might literally move an inch in all directions eventually um, in there. Depending on your mulch, going back to our mulch question, the big chunks of chunky mulch um, as you were saying, like composted or shredded, those big chunks take a lot of nitrogen. Um, the soil microbes try to break it down. But they use that nitrogen to fuel their processes and divide and multiply, and they will steal it from the soil and the plants surrounding them uh, to break down that mulch. When the mulch is done and those organisms die, the nitrogen's released again. Um, so it's not gone forever, but yeah. So adding some, some uh, ammonium nitrate or uh, nitrates of some sort to your, your lawn as well. Yeah. Thank you. There you go. Um, so Bob has written in, he's asking us, what is the best time to water my plants? Some of my friends say that it doesn't matter as long as I water them. Is that true? Yeah, Bob, if, if things are stressed, if they're thirsty, if they're wilting, they need it now. Like who cares if it's noon or three or two in the morning, um, get her down. But the best time I always say is first thing in the morning or sometime before uh, usually 10 o'clock just to avoid any water stress. Um, usually basically once the sun comes and starts to warm them up and things get growing, give them an hour or two to start photosynthesizing and respiring and they're going to um, start using that, that water up again. If you do it at, late at night, um, a lot of people I always see that makes me cringe. Uh, they're just sitting there because it's a busy, I can't blame them either. It's a busy day after spending the day in uh, work and they're just kind of hosing their plants to make them cool. But now you're leaving free moisture on the foliage and in little nooks and crannies of other material. And that's where your powdery mildews and other funguses and other diseases that might spread out into your garden are sitting there with the free moisture that doesn't evaporate until it warms up the next day to multiply. And some of these species only need four to eight hours to go through their complete life cycle. And then you water again the next night and you're spreading all the spores. So that's why in the morning, you've got the sun, it's going to stir the atmosphere, you're going to get a little bit more airflow, you're going to get the sun itself to warm things, the plants are going to use the water, and it's also going to start to dry out some of those surfaces as well. Um, and then just for that reason, just kind of try to avoid the leaves. Yeah. Yeah. Good. So there you go. <laughs> Good answer. There you go. <laughs> Thank you, Bob. So we've got a whole we've got a whole bunch of, of questions still coming. Thank you, everybody who is writing in and tuning in uh, on this lovely, very hot uh, August evening. We appreciate you and uh, we send you our love. I'm going to jump in and say thank you to everybody 
again, joining us here on Reality Radio 101, whether you're listening live or you're listening to the podcast. We thank you. I'm Matthew Dressing, here with my co-host and co-author, Joanne Shaw, and you're listening to Down the Garden Path. Joanne and I enjoy hosting Down the Garden Path each week, bringing you interesting and relevant topics to help you achieve a great garden. We learn right along with you from our research and from the guests that join us here on the show. Don't forget, you can spend more time with us down the garden path. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Down the Garden Path Podcast is our handle there. You can also find us on your favorite podcast provider. And while you're there, please hit that subscribe button to be notified of new content. And please don't forget to like, share, and leave us a comment. We love hearing from you. You can always write us here at the studio, instudio101 at gmail.com, but you can reach us directly in between shows at Down the Garden Path Podcast at hotmail.com. Joanne and I can respond to your questions. We love it when you share lots of pictures uh, with us. And I think it was uh, Jamie uh, who sent in a picture of their beautiful dendrobium. They're living in the South. It's out in their backyard attached to a tree. It's beyond words spectacular. So thank you so much, Jamie, uh, for sending that in while we were between the shows. Also, don't forget to check out our websites. You can always find us there. Downtoearth.ca is where you can find Joanne with all her social media links there. And you can find myself at www.naturalaffinity.ca as well. Wow. Mm-hmm. That was a mouthful. So, yeah, that is always you. a mouthful. I know. I know. Well, Karen uh, is asking us if we know a rain dance because we need some rain. And I, we got some a little bit a little while ago, but we certainly didn't get enough. So uh, here in the GTA, I'm sure there's other places in the in the North America that need some rain, too. But uh, we definitely uh, do. So, Karen, it, and for those longtime listeners, we'll see. Nobody said anything yet. Uh, so I'm going to spill it now. Our longtime listeners will probably remember, as I say, tomorrow is our shared birthday. That's right. (laughs) We both have the birthday of August 9th, funny enough. And Karen, trust me, I always pray, 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 pray for a beautiful thunderstorm on our birthday. I love a thunderstorm. I'm like, nature, please, just a nice... Oh no, Matt, I've got too much work to do. I've got jobs going on. I've got plantings (laughs) to do. No, 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 no. I don't want rain. I can't believe you do that. Joanne works on her birthday. Uh, It's a day off for me. Every year it's like a national holiday for me. Yes, yes. (laughs) And I am foolishly working. I am slammed, man. So I'm going to start delegating to you. (laughs) (laughs) So yes, so uh, it is funny that it is both our birthdays. So yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, um, uh, da, 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 da. Kim has written in. I can't believe you're what is well. Hopefully, you'll get the storm tonight so that you don't have to have it. Tomorrow. It was supposed to all day. I was I know, happy with rain going into tomorrow. I know Most certainly. it hasn't. So, um, so Kim has said that she has screwed up this year. I did too, I think. But is it too late to grow a pumpkin for Halloween, even if the pumpkin would be very small by October 31st? Thanks. Mm. You- you know what? You know what, Kim? I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you what I told myself about my my tomato. I started it in like the second week of July, I think. Yeah, and from like a little seed, I didn't buy one. Um, but you know what? It's actually uh, about 14 inches tall, and I can see the first truss of uh, tomatoes coming. So I'm going to get some. 
what you want to do, Kim, is find when you want to grow, but watch for the days to maturity. Um, you want to see how long it's going to take. And if it's going to go beyond October 31st, um, you may not get anything. Some of them are 120 days. Yeah. So we literally just don't have that many days left. Um, so take a look. Um, there might be some dwarf um, pumpkins out there, but it's all that days to maturity type thing. So if you can get one that's before that, give it a try. Why not? It is fun. You can see how well they're going to do in your space, in your yard, in your container. Uh, and you'll definitely learn um, for next year. Maybe it is isn't it just in a container that you grow uh, and you bring it in and see what happens. Mm -hmm. Also remember the pumpkins and watermelons and things like that, uh, cantaloupes, they like to ramble down a hill a little as well. So they don't want to be perfectly flat. They do like a little bit of a slope uh, to them. They enjoy that kind of like a peace lily. She mm -hmm. likes to wilt before and they just respond much better. Okay. Anyway, so yeah, yeah, good luck, Kim. Yeah, and on that similar note, Anne has written in and she said for next year, um, seeds or plants regarding growing tomatoes. Thanks. Um, yeah, it's a hard one to answer. Yeah, I mean, Anne, if you've seen some tomatoes out there at your local garden center um, or you have, you know, somewhere you get plants, maybe you have a friend uh, or a local farmer's market or a garden center that you enjoy uh, frequently or frequenting uh, and you say you've seen stuff that you really like their tomatoes there grab a plant um, they're definitely ahead for you they've done the growing part for you mm. but again it's really easy to grow and start some tomatoes inside just pick the one that you're interested in growing uh, the one that I grew I think was a black cherry tomato uh, and just watch on the package how many days you're going to start it inside before your local mm -hmm. last frost date. Um, and it's pretty easy to go get a grow light. Or if you have um, don't have a grow light or a space, you can often buy individual full spectrum bulbs or grow bulbs and just put it near your favorite lamp where you can watch it and water it and, and enjoy it growing as the spring days warm in your space. Mm -hmm. uh, and then when their last chance of frost is gone, uh, put her out and you're good That's to right. go. Yeah. So pretty easy either way. Mm -hmm. I will. We do have uh, several past episodes that kind of walk you through that in even more detail. Mm -hmm. But I think I think if it, it means if you want to try something new and different, and that's what I ended up this year. Normally, I am all about buying it from the grocery store, uh, or not the grocery store. Sorry, the nurseries. Um, but I did get stuck a couple times where what I bought wasn't what grew. Like I bought, you know, mm. I've, I've gotten a couple years where I've wanted a cherry tomato plant or a grape tomato plant and some, and I got something else. And I, I get that that can kind of happen, but also I feel like the most places just grow the same kind of things. So I bought my seeds this year from Julia. Um, you mentioned, give a shout out to our friend, Julia Demakos from um, Garden Girl. And um I wanted, so I've got yellow pear-shaped tomatoes and uh, pink bumble uh, tomatoes because I want to try something different. So I think if you want to try something different and unique, like you mentioned the black cherry, then I think you, you know, looking for seeds, you can start doing that shopping now. Um, but if you're fine with the sweet million and the basic tomatoes that, that all the nurseries carry, and I think those are easy for them to mass produce, right? Yeah. You just don't get a lot. There's just so many varieties that I don't think they get a lot of, uh, uh, space on the benches. So, um, so yeah, so that's my shout out to why, why you would go with seeds over plants. I think it's variety personally. Uh, agreed. Totally. There's so many neat, um, tomatoes. I'm growing, um, a dwarf, uh, Tom hat tomato mm -hmm. out on my balcony and things. No, I maybe 10 inches tall, 
but maybe like 14 to 16 inches wide. She takes a nice little two gallon pot and she's doing beautiful. She's filled with tomatoes, uh, little cherries. So I also often think of Emma Biggs when I think of tomatoes, mm-hmm. obviously the queen of tomatoes. That's um, right. I think she often sells a lot of her plants and some of her seeds uh, at, as well at emmabiggs.ca. That's right. So, uh, shout out to Emma as well. We were just on their show. And yes. So, yeah. Yeah, so everybody wants to pop over to the Food and Life podcast. Yeah. Um, you can hear uh, Matt and I had a half an hour and joined Emma and Steve on their show. And we had a blast. It was really fun. So uh, so we'd love for you to listen to us there. That's right. And that kind of leads right into Eric's next question. Hi, Joanne and Matt. Uh, how's the book going? Just remember Christmas is approaching. Yes, Christmas is approaching. And we are available to sign books for those who would like a signed copy mm-hmm. um but yeah we talked about um our book and what how we went through the book and um you know answered some listener questions there as well so mm-hmm. if you haven't listened uh definitely take a, a check out there and thank you to those who are listening tonight who also listened then uh, That's we right. saw some familiar names oh yes there questions. were quite a few yes that uh, they're a fan of both shows and you keep saying that you keep offering that we can sign books but we haven't figured out quite the most economical and financially or economical and like uh easy system to actually do that <laughs> especially if you're not in the gta so i don't know Matt. so i think we need to start <laughs> promising uh people that i don't know we'll have to talk about it so we have a few places coming up <laughs> in toronto and definitely eric we are uh we will be definitely promoting it even more uh at christmas time so everybody it's available on amazon we would love you to uh to buy it uh share it um review it um let us know what you think uh we would love the feedback yes especially if you've purchased it on amazon those reviews go a very very long way um just helping us with the book and just reach more people and we just love the reviews and hearing how you've enjoyed the book. Uh, yeah. Are you looking at the next question from all other? Has sent in a picture of. Um, yeah. And some... I can't, I can't open it. What is it? Oh, it's a branch um, covered oh, it's money, in $20 money Canadian. It's bills. a money trees, money tree. Yeah. Hi gardening show. I finally developed it. So all other is, has finally uh, money does grow on trees. <laughs> Mm-hmm. we wish and you know, just the way food prices go yeah. yeah yeah might be <laughs> dawn has also written in hi joanne and matthew is it better to buy small perennials or larger ones that have blossoms can i buy them now and plant them any available i live in the gta yeah donna um you know what you can pretty much buy perennials almost any time of the year depending on your local independent garden centers. I know a lot of ours are still doing it. Um, Depends on kind of if they grow their own, if they don't, if they bring things in. Depends, their perennial sections will all kind of change. We have a few growers near us that sell directly uh, retail as well. So they tend to have a bigger, longer selection. You can buy um, small perennials or larger ones. Um, Is it better to buy smaller or larger ones? It's kind of how much are you willing to spend in in there? Um, you know, if you buy bigger perennials, um, they're going to need, a, you know, they usually have a bigger top and a medium sized bottom. You might have to water them a little bit easier. Or if you're watering them well, you've got them mulched. You can usually water them thoroughly once and they'll last longer. Whereas the smaller ones, uh, they just dry out because there's just almost nothing to them. Uh, and then, 
you know, time of year plays into all of that. How hot is it? Is it full sun? Is it full shade? Is it, you know, there's a lot of different conditions um, that goes into how often you have to water them. But as long as you're caring for them, watching them, making sure you know who it is. Uh, some of them like heucheras, uh, heucherellas, tiarellas, um, you know, don't cut them back. They like to mulch themselves with their own leaves. Little considerations like that. Um, they're pretty good and easy to, to plant, whether they're, they're large or small for the most mm. part. And there's mm. so many factors that play into that. So yes, you can buy them now. Uh, buy big or large, usually find the, the small ones in the spring uh, and the larger ones as we go through the year. We see the bigger grasses and echinaceas and rutabecchias and things like that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there yeah. are definitely some here in the GTA for you to find. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think that I, I get that question a lot um, from neighbors and friends and and uh, clients. Like, is it okay? And it's like it might not be all like, especially the last couple of days or the last week where it's been so hot. It's not necessarily optimal. But mm-hmm. if you find a deal, if you find something you've been looking for, um, I know at the last I was telling Gary I went the, the long weekend. I went and visited my parents, and we went to I dragged my parents to four different nurseries and looked at plants and stuff like that, and and bought I found a butterfly weed. And typically when I bought it, it's been like a little plant, right? In the spring, it's been a little plant and I've like always killed it. This time it was in a like a, a two-gallon pot and it was like almost two and a half feet tall. And nice. well, it was like a big plant. Now potentially could still have already tried killed it but anyway because I forgot to water it but uh you know it's it's so I got something this time in the season that has a better chance even with the stresses to have success than sometimes you know buying something smaller in the spring and really having to baby it so um so yeah and I think I think it's like one of those things when you if you put it off you'll forget oh yeah what was I gonna Mm -hmm. put there and what was I you know where is that place hole again and then you go through another uh season of missing out so I just say go for it um you know and and a shout out to all the people that are doing um you know the macrophilia uh hydrangeas you know you post every summer about on on some of the Facebook groups well it hasn't bloomed for five years I'm just going to give it one more year honestly people you know <laughs> time is short get get a blooming get a little quick fire get a little bobo or just bobo boba hydrangea um get there's lots of varieties little lime there's lots of panaculata lovely plants or if you don't want a hydrangea get you know get a lovely um re, re, re-blooming uh wigilia. oh yeah so stop waiting for those plants to do what they should have done you know right off the bat right yeah well and it's the macrophyllas too right They've got those buds that come out in the early spring, but if we get a weird spring, they just get frozen off. That's right. And then they're growing, and then we get a heat wave like this, and they, we don't keep them wet enough. So the buds, as they're developing out or emerging out on the spring, dry out and die. So there's nothing that's right. left. So, so that's, there's two easy shots for them just to be mm-hmm. foliage. And it's just, yeah. For sure. And I think because their leaves perform super well, because you're fertilizing it and you're watering it a ton, Mm. the leaves are looking really good and you just think it's going to perform and it's really just not. So I I think um, you're just wasting, you know, uh, the space in the garden, especially if you have a small garden, um, you know, really go for something that is, you know, talk to your garden center, talk to us. We happily suggest, I suggested some already, Um, you know, plant that, you know, my little quick fire. Now this year, all my hydrangeas, I think because of that coolness we got, we got heat and then cool. Mm. All of them are a bit later, but normally, uh, you know, it's the first one to bloom in June. And so I have beautiful flowers from June until October. And I, you know, and, and it's, 
covered in blooms, not waiting for one or two little mop heads. Um, so yeah, anyway, you, that could be a whole episode of me lecturing <laughs> everybody. Why not do it for macrophilius? But definitely, I feel like if you have a spot and you find a plant and you want to plant it, and as long as you're not going on vacation for three weeks, plant yeah. the, buy the plant and plant <laughs> the plant and enjoy. Agreed. <laughs> so our next listener, Stu, has written in, Hi, Joanne and Matthew. This is great advice about watering plants or the lawn. Uh, for that matter, at night. But what about when it rains at night? Isn't it the same thing as us watering? Wouldn't rain at night hurt the lawn and plants as well as you mean? Yes, definitely. And the plants over the millennia that they've been around have have definitely adapted to that. And we'll always see that little bit. Gardening in nature isn't perfect by like picturesque magazine standards, right? So a little bit of that, most certainly. Um, but when we do do it at night, we accelerate that process. And that's where a peony goes from green one day to next week being completely white because your powdery mildew and those susceptible plants, she's moving unchecked. So again, just kind of one of those, just the tips for, you know, that's the time to do it just to kind of get that best results and keep things kind of unchecked there or checked in check and and controllable now and you're dead right those two if we get a week of just rainy cloudy humid disgusting weather that's that's when those those um molds and funguses that's what they want to do they're going to go crazy and there's nothing we can do about that that's where we just have to move in with sprays and other things but so just as far as ornamental horticulture goes definitely that's we want to do the first thing in the morning however yeah, nature and then that whole cycle and that's a whole other thing. There's always going to be a little bit of it and the weather will f- reflect how much comes and goes and in that cycle for sure. So, but yeah, yeah. I'm Great glad you're enjoying question. the show too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, tomatoes. So Steve has written in saying, um, can't I grow a tomato plant all year round inside with a grow light? Um, so yes, yeah. I believe, yeah, you can. I think there's some varieties, right. That are, um, better. I think it's the smaller ones. I, and actually I got to visit, I would share with it. Well, I know we're running out of time, but I was, I spent the day with Julia yesterday at her, uh, garden in, uh, Mono, Ontario. And, um, so that was lovely. And we did talk about that very thing. And I think she has talked about that in a, a past episode, exactly. um, but do you remember, <laughs> Yeah, there's the dwarf tomatoes and then the micro dwarfs. Right. Uh, Most of them are determinants. uh, And you're only going to see them grow anywhere from like 10 to 12 or 14 inches tall and wide. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. um, make sure you have those grow lights there, Steve. Um, They want that light. They want those those long light periods like tomatoes do. Uh, And then, yeah, you can grow them indoors. I'm Mm -hmm. going to about to order a few uh, micros myself, some micro dwarfs. And uh, I'm going to do the same thing. Yeah, we'll put together an order and grab it. And I believe she said something to me on this yesterday about by them being in a small pot, they're under more stress. And that's Mm. what makes them produce because they're so stressed. They they produce more seeds, more tomato, more fruit. Yeah, yeah. Because fruiting and flowering can be a stress reaction as well as their normal cycle. For sure, for sure. It's one of my favorite tips about lilacs. If you've ever had like the purple or the native lilacs, um, not bloom for a while something's happening may be a bigger issue but one of the tricks you can do is is um, stab a spade uh, into the root zone Mm, around the the canopy yeah Mm. yeah and that break causes a stress reaction and she'll light up with Mm. new buds 
and same with um <laughs> wisteria wisteria yes yeah yeah yes i'm like i'm like what's the uh, word it sounds like you know we're gonna do charades you know it's on love trellis it's yes <laughs> 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 uh, we reach the end of the show frank is also written in hello joanne and matt such an excellent show tonight i recorded it lots of advice and tips you too rock thank you and <laughs> thank you frank yes thank you for listening every week frank we really appreciate it so many of these names thank you guys for supporting us here on the show and uh we really really appreciate it and we love doing these don't we we look we both look forward to these uh, even though they're kind of scary these ask us anything <laughs> we approach it like uh oh if nobody asks us anything what are we going to talk about but uh, <laughs> you guys never disappoint nope. and we really enjoy doing them don't we 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 really do we always mm -hmm. get the most questions on nights like this so we yes. love interacting with all of you mm -hmm. so thank you so much mm -hmm. i do want to ask that um you know i don't know if any if the people are listening and all of our friends that write in often um are on instagram but please we would love for you to follow us on uh, down the garden path podcast on instagram um that's where we share past shows we show we share flashbacks to like previous shows um, um, I'm trying to do some gardening tips and, and things to kind of do stories and, and more excerpts from our, our book. So, um, so we would love to have your support there as well. And, and that's a great place to share things. Like if you are buying a product um, that we recommend or, you know, any, any other feedback, you know, that's a good place to, um, to kind of post about it too. That's right. And you know what, if you're not on Instagram or Facebook, write us at down the garden path podcast at hotmail.com. And tell us where you are. Maybe mm -hmm. there's a platform that we haven't moved to yet that we should be on for you. Uh, and so we'd love to know where you're spending your social time online so that we might joy, uh, join you and or reach you there more easily. Mm -hmm. That's right. And as always, please send us your ideas for, for future shows. Um, I'm excited. We are talking. Um, we're doing butterflies next week, aren't we? Yeah, I think it's Mary Phillips is joining us next week. Yes. Uh, to talk about monarchs and the monarch decline. Um, I'm going to totally forget the which foundation, Natural Wildlife I Foundation, I think she's from. Yes, the National Wildlife uh, Federation. Federation. So, yes. So I'm really excited. They reached out to us to do the show. And so we are very excited to have um, Mary on and to talk more about, because um, I'm sure there's even more things that the National Wildlife Federation uh, looks after and can tell us and educate us. Um, and that's really important. And uh, so we're excited to have her on the show and uh, but like I said we're always excited to hear about your ideas or your connections um, to to talk about well before yeah. you go off if I may before you mm -hmm. go off the air I wanted to wish both of you a very 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 happy birthday and I kind of go with Matt I love thunderstorms I do yes. and it was supposed to thunderstorm here today and we didn't get it and uh, there's nothing like sleeping at a nice thunderstorm, but uh, I wish both of you the best. You're fantastic, wonderful Aww. people. I consider you dear friends, and I wish you the best tomorrow. Eat lots of cake, please. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I thank love a good you. thunderstorm. I'm, I love it, too. I love sitting on a porch and like looking. I do love it. Just not on my birthday. That's all. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yes, there's nothing beats a good thunderstorm, and boy, do we need one. So, uh, so yeah. So you're working on your 
you're working on your birthday. So if we get it, it's going to be like, no, stay home and not work. <laughs> yes. And happy birthday to you too, Joanne. <laughs> Uh, so thank you everybody for once again listening to us and uh following us on this journey yes thank you so much as you said we love and love it so much doing it uh so yes we love hearing from you down the garden path podcast at hotmail.com let us know what you think uh send us your ideas we'd love to talk more about what you're thinking about don't forget as well to check out the book down the Garden Path, a step-by-step guide to your Ontario garden, live and available now on Amazon, whether it's .ca or .com. And stay tuned next week when we are joined by Mary Phillips, talking all about monarch butterflies from the uh, National Wildlife Foundation. I probably said that wrong again. but Federation. Should, Federation. Federation. It should be a great show. So thank you, everybody. Uh, We look forward to seeing you next week on Down the Garden Path here on Reality Radio 101. Thank you for listening to Down the Garden Path with your hosts, Joanne Shaw and Matthew Dressing right here on Reality Radio 101.